ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. It's Wednesday, and so on Wednesdays, we don't wear pink, we do the Dome Patrol. <laughs> I mean, I mean, sometimes I wear pink, though. <laughs> sometimes we wear, I wear pink, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, man, I love it's, it, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the two of us, this has been just a crazy week. I mean, we've both been very busy. Um, right. So I'm glad we get this momentary respite. To, even though it's work, it's it's also a release. It's 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 a good time anytime we get to do this. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. So welcome back. How was your? I haven't talked to you since the Thanksgiving holiday. So how That's was right. your Thanksgiving? And man, enjoy yourself. Look, I, you know, look. I'm gonna be honest, man. Like I know that there are a lot of people, you know, this season that didn't get to see their family, uh, or they had an open table at Thanksgiving and everything. And obviously, like nothing nothing compares to what that must have felt like but for me this thanksgiving just for like my experience of it man it was just me and my fiance a dog nice and simple no awkward extended family conversations i didn't have to explain to anybody what i do for a living i didn't have to do any of that like there was none of that and so like that part for me from my specific experience i can't speak on other people's experience and again we recognize other people's experiences at all times but for me, this was phenomenal, and I never want to do a Thanksgiving with family ever again if I don't have to. <laughs> I've said before that on many occasions on holidays, it is often better to miss your family than to have them, and that's not true go. for everybody. Again, not true for everybody. And there are years, even I, that there are plenty of years that I enjoy being with that large group of people. <clears throat> but yes, it does simplify. And it takes a lot of the social constructs out of the way when it's just that intimate group of people. Like you say, you don't have to go through this thing of, especially when you have siblings and they have children. Everything becomes, what has your kid been doing? And, you know, it, it turns into the, the hierarchy of, oh, well, my kid did this. And my it's kid the competition. Uh, yes. And then uh, you fall into those same roles of I'm the oldest, I'm the middle, I'm the youngest. And everybody rebels against those constructs. And it's, it's just the nature of the beast. When you're in your parents' home in particular, yes, you start to fall back into the patterns that you, you were in that house. That's just what you 100%. Do. So 100%. It's just better to miss folks and, from, right. and love them from a distance. Hey, look, absence makes the heart grow fonder, homie. Like, that's always been the case. We know this. We know this. And so I'm going to be absent and I'm going to be fond. And that's the way we're going to do it from now on. <laughs> has absence, has absence uh, made the hearts of Saints fans fonder while Drew Brees has been on the sidelines the last two weeks? I think it should. <laughs> I think it should have. Look, I'm not going to, you know, like, obviously, like, we are, we are very level-headed in our approach, the way that we analyze the game and that we look at the game and everything like that. I loved your tweet 
yesterday and everything talking about like what it is that we like to do and how we like to approach that being right is only important because we want to give the right information, not because we need something out of the idea. But when you look at the way that you evaluate taste, you do have to be a little bit sort of, you know, you kind of got to at least be on a sliding scale. That's, that's the biggest thing. Like being stuck at an extreme is not going to be helpful, but I do think that at, in any case, however it is that you feel about Taysom Hill, you miss Drew Brees and it makes perfect sense because Teddy Bridgewater won five straight games without Drew Brees last year, but you still missed Drew Brees. Like, you know I mean? It's that kind of thing right now without uh, 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 Drew Brees in the offense these last two weeks, the Saints offense has dropped to 13th in the NFL. That is even with any offense that Sean Payton has been an offensive play caller, that is even with his worst, which was his very first season with the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. So you want to see this offense continue to flow. Continue. Now, they just, they just put 225-plus yards up on the ground this last game over 44 carries. That's good news. That's all good. Don't get me wrong. But there are still elements of this offense, the timing, the, the cleanliness, the neatness of – the offensive production and being able to sort of churn the ball down the field. You miss that a bit when you don't have Drew Brees. That's not a slight to Taysom Hill. It's just that's what Drew Brees can do after 15, 14, 15 years in an offense doing this and helping to create it and adjust it and evolve it along with the times, the NFL and along with Sean Payton. So yeah, absolutely, man. Like I I hope that people are a little bit fonder of the idea of, yeah, we want to see this offense with Drew Brees as quickly as possible. As soon as he's healthy moving forward to a potential Super Bowl run here. Yeah. I mean, you look at the three games, the three full games that Brees played before the injury. Mm -hmm. Um, Saints had almost 400 yards in each one of those games. They averaged over 400 yards. Yep. In all, for the, those three games. They've only topped 300 once in the last three games. And right. obviously, Drew Brees' injury had a huge impact on that against San Francisco. Not mm-hmm. only San Francisco having a solid defense, but Drew Brees basically being crippled in that sense of the word, the football right. sense. Um, just yes. not able to do anything effectively, offensively. Um, but like, like you said, to be, let's be completely fair with Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a very difficult situation to be thrown into. Again, yeah. you got no off-season reps, really. You can't – Right. and in practice, he's not getting reps. People need to understand that quarterbacks like Drew Brees um, and Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, they take literally every snap at practice, mm-hmm. every snap. They do not take off because yeah. they are insistent upon these things. Yeah, we we always talk about we always talk about Drew Brees's routine, mm-hmm. right? Him always being a guy of routine, a, a you know a creature of habit, all of those stuff like that doesn't get put on hold just because Taysom wants some snaps or 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 Jameis wants some snaps or whatever, right? Like there's still so much of that is still a part of what affects the rest of that offensive. Excuse me, yeah, the, the rest of the offensive rotation in practice. And, and, and you have to think that even this year it's more important because the rotations on the offensive line have been so inconsistent from week to week. So Drew needs to work with all of those people on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, and that has point. continued. The line has been in flux for Taysom for two weeks. Right. He's done yeah. some good things. He has not turned the ball over. Right. Um, he has not um, made incredibly bad decisions. Mm-hmm. But I would think that the thing that sticks out the most about Taysom 
is what you would expect out of any person making their first and second career NFL starts. Right. And he is hesitant to take any risks whatsoever, even if those risks are minimal considering his arm talent that mm-hmm. we do know he has, the protection that he has gotten in certain situations, and the availability of his targets. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you, you know that he has trouble with, with certain things that we have seen him have trouble with since preseason games a couple of years ago, right? You know, uh, reading zone coverage, getting through his progressions quickly enough to be on time with his throws, being on time with his throws, whatever the aversion is to the dump off to Alvin Kamara. Like all of those things are, you know, those two, I just, you know, we keep hearing them being compared to oil and water, you know, because they just, they don't mix. You can shake them vigorously all you want, but they do not mix. And it is, it has been a strange thing. And, and, you know, those are all things that are knocks on Taysom Hill, yes, but they're not things that can't be improved upon. They're not things that can't be fixed. It's just that you want to see that improvement. You want to see those things get fixed. You want to see that progression. Last week was hard to really, you know, this, this game against the Broncos, it's hard to really have a full-on evaluation of Taysom Hill. And I, I think that trying to evaluate him off of two games maybe isn't the most conducive strength but certainly observing him and having observations about him is the right way to go because you want to see these things he only threw what 19 passes uh, against the against the broncos somewhere around there he had maybe 23 dropbacks out of all of that you don't see many opportunities to really give an observation about him as a passer but you take them when you can get them Mm -hmm. right you take the observations you don't make a full blanket judgment or a full blanket decision on him based on those, but there are still things that are observable. All the things that you just mentioned, his issues with reading zone coverage, his issues of progression, all the other stuff. Those are all Having things that, field, that's yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. The, the interception that ended up being tipped and then went to, uh, uh, and then ended up getting picked off. That was a target to Michael Thomas. They actually completed, I think a series or two before that exact same route in that exact same area of the field. The timing was right. The first time the timing was late. The second time. <laughs> That's the difference, right? This is a game of seconds. This is a game of absolute seconds and inches. And that was a second, you know, too late. That was an inch too far in one direction or whatever. That's how quickly these things can turn around. And so I think that it it is that. But you want to see those things. You want to observe those things. You want to clock those things and note them and then look for the improvement and the progress as you continue through. One thing that did surprise me is that, the revelation that Sean Payton dramatically changed the game plan once the offensive game plan, once it became apparent that the Broncos weren't starting a legitimate NFL quarterback and shout out to Kevin Hinton, a former Wake Mm -hmm. Forest demon Deacon. So I I thought about you that whole time because of that. (laughs) So I was, I just wanted dude to make it. That's all. Just get out of there safe, man. Because that's an impossible situation, and I think the entire league acknowledged that. Every player from Cam Jordan on down on the Saints said, hey, I couldn't have done what he did, go Mm -hmm. out there and come off the street essentially, hadn't played a snap of quarterback in two years, and you ask him to start an NFL game against a defense that's as hot as any in the NFL right now. Right. So, yeah, I mean, like you could have that. Taysom Hill could be doing that. <laughs> He's not. Right. Um, so it's like, but those little things of, of having to change the offense and kind of oversimplify it, that shows you that there's still things that they're trying to get him to digest. 
Yes. Because normally you'd say, well, let's attack more. We can be more aggressive um, because we know they can't score points. Mm-hmm. The running game was fantastic. I'm, I was fine with them running the ball as much as they did. Latavius Murray looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Alvin Kamara has some very nice runs as well. Yep. I will throw this in because I'm not the only one who's observing this. And like you said, that you talked about that mix between them. The passing game has been non-existent for Alvin. Yeah. Um, and his scoring in these two starts has been compromised. And, yep. and people are sitting, there's a picture on PFF on their Twitter of Taysom Hill's head on a car crusher and Alvin Kamara's fantasy points. And Taysom is just <laughs> pushing down on it. And I, and I joked, said this a joke and people got mad just joking. I said, nobody, I said, Alvin Kamara has to hate him a little bit. Right. He <laughs> scores. And, and everybody's like, well, he doesn't care. He's a competitor. And you know, there are numbers. I, we know that there is a touchdown number in right. his contract that he needs to hit to get a little bit more money. Right. And yeah. I want my money. <laughs> right. hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like those, those, those performance bonuses are something that are, there are even performance bonuses that are built into the CBA that aren't a part of negotiation. Right, like there's all of that stuff that's a part of it. Doesn't it's not one of those things. First of all, incentives aren't public in, in, in you aren't accessible by public in, in contracts. You're not going to find those on SpotRack. Um, you're not going to find those in over the cap. And then when it comes to which are great resources, but unfortunately, that's just you know that's part of the information that does still stay behind a wall. And then there are already performance incentives that are built into CBAs. That's why at the end of every season, right after week 17, you start to see this person hit a performance bonus, this person hit a performance bonus. That's not stuff that's negotiated. Those are things that are already built into the CBA. And so some of those things may have adjusted, but I can't imagine that they were adjusted, especially going into this season. So everybody was like, no, because if I hit 20 touchdowns and the season ends at week 15, I still get a little bit more money because that's in the CBA. So I can't imagine those things going away. And so yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it is an interesting thing watching it because I think that I immediately assume that, look, Alvin Kamara is the perfect running back for this situation because Taysom always has that safety. But that's exactly what I assumed going in there. And I could not have been more wrong because it just seems that the two of them can't, can't coexist. And the other part of it, too, is we've always seen that Sean Payton, the time that we have, the most time that we have seen Taysom Hill, the most often we could expect to see Taysom Hill is where? In right. the red zone in the red zone. And that is where Alvin Kamara continuously scores his touchdowns. You look to a couple seasons back where he scored, you know, the, the most touchdowns of his career so far, the majority of those all but a handful, less than a handful came in the red zone. The majority of his touchdowns this season have come in the red zone. And now all of a sudden you've got a second, you know, a, a third in one situation to where Sean Payton, instead of handing the ball to, to, to Alvin Kamara lines up Adam Troutman, Will Clapp, and Michael Burton in a trips formation to the far left and then uses Alvin Kamara as what? A decoy. Puts him in a jet sweep motion behind Taysom Hill to let everybody know it might go that way, but not nah, Taysom's going to bend that edge and we're going to get you know Ryan Ramchick out on a poor defensive back. He's no, not 100%. That risk. He's not making right. that handoff. Right. He's not fumbling you know I mean? that exchange. He can't right. do it. So. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's the other part when you look at the fantasy, you know, aspect of it is that, yeah, he's losing, he's losing value in the PPR leagues because he ain't catching nothing. Uh, He ain't being thrown nothing. The screen pass inexplicably that Taysom didn't throw. I think maybe he might've felt like Alvin Carrera ran into the tight end or something and the look just wasn't there. 
I'm not convinced the look was going to be there for him. Not one that he was comfortable with, right? Every screen pass is a touch pass, and we haven't really seen Taysom Hill do touch passes. We've seen him bullet. We've seen him, you know, driving in and everything like that, but we haven't seen the touch pass from him. Think back to the week 11, no, the week 10 game against the San Francisco 49ers, the touch pass on the wheel route to Alvin Kamara from Jameis Winston that everybody was like, that's the throw. That's the one. You're not, we haven't seen Taysom Hill do that. I'm not saying that we won't see him do it. We just haven't seen it. And so like just the two styles, they have coming out of BYU. That was his struggle. You know, Mm -hmm. he was an under 60% accurate passer. And a lot of that, you see it. It's on the precision. It's it's anticipating where the receiver is going to be. He doesn't, he struggles. I'm not going to say doesn't, he struggles with leading receivers into the ball. Like right. you said, yes. he will fire it at the receiver. And yep. that's something that has followed yeah. him for a while. And it's something that is partially on reps. You do need reps yeah. to do that. But it's something also that a lot of quarterbacks and quarterback gurus, whether it be Bill Walsh or whomever, say you cannot teach accuracy. Yeah. You cannot teach anticipation. Quarterbacks either have it or don't. Yeah. I can't remember which game it was. I want to say it was against the Panthers, but I, I could be wrong. But there was a – there was a touchdown where they had, and this was with Drew Brees in the game, they had Alvin Kamara lined up out wide, and then they sort of brought him down in kind of a bubble screen type of formation, and then all of these offensive linemen crashed down on him. And this might have actually been against Tampa. And Traquan Smith ended up being open in the back of the end zone. That throw is a throw that Drew Brees makes because he's not aiming for Traquan Smith. He's throwing to an area. He's just throwing to the back of the end zone, putting it in a place where Traquan Smith can make the catch. And Traquan Smith had the you know wherewithal and capacity to be able to catch that, get both be go, get both feet in bounds, then before going out of bounds. But that is about knowing where to put the ball and Traquan Smith knowing where the ball is going to be. That's what that's all about. And so those screen passes, the the pass that. Um, that Taysom threw down the field on the left sideline to Jerry Cook in double coverage when he had Marquez Callaway streaking wide open on the post over the middle of the field. Both of those throws are throw, you know, the, the screen and that, that post throw that he didn't throw. Those are throws where you have to aim for a spot, certain spot on the field and throw that receiver to that spot. Think back to the, um, I mean, both of the deep passes to Emmanuel Sanders, right, against the Falcons. Well, one of them, he got hit while he was throwing the ball, and then it ended up just kind of being this this arm punt. But you also saw the one that got called back. That was more, I'm throwing to where you are. And so right. Emmanuel Sanders had to hold up. You think to the Deontay Harris 50-yard uh, catch in Minnesota. All of those, like, we talk about them being underthrown, but there's also a lack of anticipation and timing to where he could have thrown the ball to those exact same spots. But had he thrown the, balls, thrown the ball to those spots at an earlier moment, right? Had he had the anticipation, he could have put the ball in those spots and they, it would have looked much cleaner. It would have been, you know, hitting the, the, the players in stride, things like that. He, he, he's so focused on there's the player and I have to throw the ball to where he is as opposed to the, the anticipation. It's like playing, um, oh, what is the, the asteroids, yes. right? Don't shoot where they are, shoot where they're going. Like it's that same, that same concept. And, and- but worth millions of dollars. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's going to be the thing that either keeps him as a quarterback or keep, or makes him move to something else. That's what teams are going to continue to evaluate for him. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm interested in seeing um, this third game because it's a much different challenge for him defensively. 
and he's not going to have the luxury of playing against an offensively incapable team. Right. You are going to have to produce drives here, and mm-hmm. and you cannot simply. I hope that they can they continue to give Latavius Murray those carries. He yep. looked again. So let's talk about them for a minute because they need to get their the offensive line needs to get its due because they did yep. a fantastic job with that. And then you also have to give Latavius and, and Alvin a great uh, – just they did a great job in, in, in taking advantage of those running opportunities. Yeah, and so I think when you look at this offensive line, there was a major concern with it because you didn't have Teron Armstead. He was someone that uh, you know, tested positive for COVID. Um, he has now exib- uh, exhibited symptoms, which means he will not be available, I imagine, against the Falcons on Sunday. Um, hard for me. It's only eight days. I think if you exhibit symptoms, it has to be 10 days. And so – we won't see him. Um, and then Derek Kelly ended up being out too because of close contact. Same concept as what happened with the, the quarterbacks for Denver. But then you also had Andrews Pete who was out because of a concussion because he got shouldered in the face during the game against the Atlanta Falcons. The poor guy, man. Like The injuries he suffers are of no fault to himself. <laughs> it's just it's impact stuff. But hey, um, oh, he's, he's, If it can go wrong for him, it will. <laughs> Um, but when it, you know, but this offensive line still performed very well. They weren't asked to do a ton of pass blocking in this game. Again, there was only about 23 dropbacks in this one. Um, only uh, Taysville ran 10 times in this game, eight design runs in, in this situation, as opposed to six last, last week, which I think that if that was a little bit more half and half to it was eight design runs this week and then four design runs last week, I would be a little bit happier, but eight design runs in this game made perfect sense because what the offensive game plan was. But then you look at, you know, this offensive line that has struggled in the interior so far this season. Cesar Ruiz is, you know, he's, he's coming along, he's showing flashes, but he's still struggling. And that's what you have to expect from a rookie right now, playing out of position at a position to where he didn't even really get to practice because he was also splitting time at center. Um, but, you know, at some point you have to say, look, the guy's just not performing right now. But because yeah. of the fact that uh, Andrews Pete was out, Nick Easton wasn't able to come and sub in for him on those passing packages because Nick Easton was busy playing left guard. So you saw the Denver Broncos attack that left side early with uh, the, the stunt that ended up with a sack. But again, they were assisted by Taysom Hill holding onto the ball too long because five yards down the field in the flat, there's Alvin Kamara wide open again, uh, not getting the ball. And so, you know, I think that there's, you know, still those things, but the offensive line still held up pretty well. I mean, I think you can really only credit one of those sacks that was given up against the offensive line. And that would be the Caesar Reese one that was given up in the second quarter, the second sack of the game, basically the other two were Taysom holding on to the ball too long. Basically um, the other one was the strip fumble that mm-hmm. he wasn't even really sacked on. He just hit the ball out of his hand. Cause he was just, Hold the ball, just chilling. Um, so, they, like, those are all things that you have to identify. But really, I mean, this offensive line was outstanding from snap one to, you know, snap however many snaps the Saints took. I know they only took 43 defensive snaps, but they, they, I think they ran about 60-something plays. Uh, but this offensive line was effective all the way down to the end of the fourth quarter. And while, you know, or at least once, you know, the starters got – the remaining starters got subbed out and everything. And so I think you do have to credit that Latavius Murray is the perfect running back for Taysom Hill right now. He just absolutely is. This is what the game plan is going to be. It's going to be a North South rushing attack so far. And Alvin Kamara can do that. Don't get me wrong, but 
Latavius Murray just seems to, you just keep giving him the ball and he just keeps getting better and better with every carry. I mean, 127 yards in this game on just 19 carries. Like he didn't even get into the twenties like he did against Chicago and Arizona last year. And so if he's the perfect situation for Taysom Hill right now, you want to see Taysom Hill throw the ball to Alvin Kamara, but if he's not going to, then Latavius Murray is the perfect option for him. And something that, that made Murray really effective to me is that because teams are stacking, because they mm-hmm. want Taysom to throw. If Murray gets past the first level, like he did on the long touchdown run, yep, he has the speed to get away. And I think that he's been underestimated with his speed. He's not, you know, he's not, he's not Alvin Kamara. Right. But he, you did, they, he can, he can, once he gets to that second level, if he can get that one breakthrough, he is strong enough and he's fast enough to make big plays. And like you said, he got stronger as the game went on. His best carries were in the third and fourth quarter. Yep. I think you, I'm glad you bring up his athleticism and his escapability because those are things that consistently get underestimated. About. You look back to last week against the Atlanta Falcons, the big catch and run that he had, he had to get rid of Deion Jones in order to make that play. And he was able to get around Deion Jones, who did not expect him to be as quick as he was. And that was a big part of why he ended up picking up 20-something yards on that catch and run was because Deion Jones completely underestimated how quickly he could move laterally and then get his continue his full head of steam down the field. That's one of the things that's really impressive about watching Latavius Murray is that his change of gear doesn't have much of a stutter. He can, you know, he can go from running at a full head of steam to making one cut and then right back to that full head of steam. He doesn't lose momentum. And that's tough. Or back his size. Right. Yeah. Keep in mind, he's six foot three, 200 plus. Like the dude's a wide receiver mm-hmm. <laughs> out there, you know, doing that and everything from the backfield. Like it, it's, it's part of what the Saints loved about him. It's part of what the Saints loved about him because Mark Ingram had the same thing. He, was, he had some deceptive speed, he had some deceptive agility. You saw him being the big power guy every now and then. Don't get me wrong, or more times than not, don't get me wrong. But you also saw him make some moves. And you see the same thing from Latavius Murray, but I think at an even more effective rate and at a more efficient pace. Um, you know, there's an efficiency to Latavius Murray that you don't see with running backs his size. I think that's, that's the thing. He maintains his level regardless of, you know, any moves that he has to make laterally, any cuts he has to make, anything like that. He's very efficient. He's like a poor man's Derrick Henry, which is not a bad right. thing to be. I mean, mm-hmm. Derrick, Derrick Henry's Derrick Henry. Yeah. But Latavius has, exhibits many of those same qualities Mm -hmm. Um, like you said that maintaining balance uh being able to get through and get to the second level and and as we've seen if you let him get to the second level that's that's just yeah and they're not tackling secondary is not tackling we saw on on the second touchdown he scored too he got to the second level and he just ran right through somebody's arm tackle like he's he's extremely tough to tackle for very different reasons than alvin Kamara, but just as but almost as effectively in terms of his ability to be able to get away. And again, the thing that I love most about, about Latavius Murray is that, yeah, he might get knocked down often. Like you see him take a little bit of contact and then, and then knocked down. He does not have the contact balance that Alvin Kamara has. Uh, and some of that comes with that, that, that height, but he always falls forward. He's always fighting for more yards. Like those are the things that I really, really enjoy about watching him. Yeah. The lack of negative plays. And that's mm-hmm. one thing, even with, um, you look at around the rest of the team, they've, they've understood that. And that's something Sean, Sean Payton has always preached is that we don't do negative plays. Yes. And when they do, Sean Payton, as he did, you know, when they talk about him beating the 31 teams, and he said, no, I've beaten all 32 because of what I call it <laughs> over here. And it's like that, again, that level of awareness. Yeah. Your head coach 
who will say the bad things are on me mm-hmm. in public, even though we know he will tear them a new one in private. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, we, we keep talking about that culture. There's a reason the Saints have won eight in a row. There's yeah. a reason why other teams are coming apart at certain times that the Saints are holding together. And not just that, they are getting better right. from week to week even while facing these challenges that they've had in every game. You can't say that the Saints have had their entire team together for a single game. You can't say that they've, they were able to – the first four games this season in particular, they couldn't string together um, four quarters. Mm-mm. But these last several games, the Saints have, to me, been the best team in the NFL. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch, and a huge part of that is is on the defensive side. But also, I mean, as you mentioned, it's Sean Payton, it's the culture, it's all that. I mean, look at the, the let's just let's talk about a team that doesn't have the same culture, but is is a culture that is that is replicable publicly, and that would be the Chicago Bears. They do the do the end zone celebrations, they do the the touchdowns, they do the post game celebrations, they do all that. But the culture is not the same. You know, they'll, they'll do some things that are similar. They'll look similar. They'll do whatever, but the culture is not the same. And that's a team that started off what five and they were five and one at one point this season. And now they've lost everything they've played since then. That's the, the Saints started off with it. Well, they started off with a win, but then a two game losing streak for the first time and since what 2016 that they lost multiple games in a row. And then they turn around and win eight in a row. Like that is the culture is very, very different. enormously different. And I think that that is such a big part of what we have to credit with Sean Payton to where, you know, on Canal Street Chronicles, we just had an article come out from a first time writer that we just brought in who talked about Sean Payton deserving coach of the year. I still think coach of the year should go personally. I think that's either Brian Flores or Mike Tomlin. Um, But when it comes down to what coach Payton has done so far this year, I I understand the argument in his favor because he's had Drew Brees and Michael Thomas on the field together twice, (laughs) two times so far this season. And so I think that that's, that's something that makes uh, you know, a load of uh, two full games. It's something that makes a load of sense. Uh, and, you know, losing both starting corners at, and for one game, losing both starting wide receivers for another game, losing your hall of fame quarterback again, second year in a row and having to figure out how to do it. I actually think the fact that it happened the second year in a row is something that hurts Sean Payton in that conversation because it's a little bit more like, yeah, well, we knew he was going to, you know what I mean? Like we've seen him do it before. Like it almost kind of hurts him in a way, but it's an interesting conversation. And I think that there, but I think when you talk about Sean Payton in terms of his all time standing, he deserves a lot of credit as one of the best coaches in the NFL and specifically one of the best offensive coaches, offensive play callers in the NFL. But you know, he, he leads that, he leads that culture from that's all from, top down I'll reference from the coaching staff down before we move over to the defense and mm-hmm. there's so much to talk about there um Brian Bienemy and I were, had a conversation about mm-hmm. on Twitter about Sean Payton's Hall of Fame candidacy mm-hmm. and um and I think he needs he needs that one more thing yeah it's either to just get back to the Super Bowl because that seems to be the line of demarcation. You have to at least get to two. Yeah. Let everyone win them. It's got to get to them. Yeah. <laughs> winning one. Bill Cowher didn't mm-hmm. win two. He won right. one, but he got there twice. Right. You know what I'm like you look, even the coaches that won one over the years, you got to get that second appearance. Packers yeah. only got one under Mike Holmgren, but he got there twice in back-to-back seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, so you get that leverage when you do that 
Um, and I think that that's what – the fact that the Saints went 10 years between NFC Championship game appearances mm-hmm. hurt. Um, and the fact that they have not gotten over the huddle – I mean, the hurdle these three years hurt. Does it mean that he's not a legitimate Hall of Fame candidate? No, he absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. He needs a cherry. Mm-hmm. And either that cherry is another Super Bowl appearance or doing it without Drew. Yeah. Like those are the two things that, that can, can make him a surefire Hall of Famer. Because Mike Tomlin has him. You know, Mike Tomlin has two Super Bowl appearances. Right. And Mike Tomlin also can sit up there and say, I've never had a losing record. But, I mean, those are little things that when they start splitting the hairs that, that they do with head coaches. But certainly, you know, like you said, over the last – in that period, it's obviously Bill Belichick won. Mm-hmm. And then that second tier is Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll, and um, Sean Payton. Those mm-hmm. four are the ones right underneath that for me. Yep. Um, and, and all of those other guys have two Super Bowl appearances. Yeah, it's an it's an important it's an important it's an important thing that he still has to do for sure. And I think that a lot of people would say he has to win a second Super Bowl. I don't think that that's the case. I agree with you. A second Super Bowl appearance could do it. And I think I think that even getting a, 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 another Super Bowl appearance without Drew Brees mm-hmm. is even more. That, right? that, getting another Super Bowl, yeah, getting another Super Bowl appearance with Drew is great. Don't get me wrong. That will probably help in that conversation to where it's just a sort of foregone conclusion. But if you get another Super Bowl appearance without Drew Brees at some point in your, in your career as a head coach, I think that that would be something that really makes it like a, yeah, no, yeah, we're, we're good here. <laughs> this is it's happening. like with Parcells. He won, he went to three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks and right. won two of them. The same with Joe Gibbs, wins mm-hmm. the only coach to win Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. Right. So, you know, those things are bonus because that means you are good enough to transfer what mm-hmm. you have and continue yeah. it. Yeah. And that's going, that's the test that everybody's waiting on with Sean Payton is, yeah. can you do this sans Drew Brees? And so, yeah. And, and that's the same thing that Bill Belichick is dealing with this year, but he's got six rings in the pocket. Right. So nobody, you ain't going to really question. Yeah. He fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I, and I do think that some of the other things that Sean Payton has done do speak to his benefits where even if he doesn't get to another Super Bowl, you're right. He's still a part of the conversation because of the fact that he's produced so many top 10 offenses, so many top five offenses that he, you know, you can't really look at playoff record. Cause like even the guys that are in the hall of fame have like 500 playoff you, records. Good, it doesn't really matter. You make the playoffs a bunch, but you can, it's hard. You're, you're eliminated. It's a single game elimination. So you right. Yeah. In the division. Yeah. Even if you get losing the championship game, you're one and one. It's not right. like, you know, a right. build up. Yeah. So it's, that's a tough one to look at and try to draw, use that as a metric, but you can look at, you know, maybe what you can use some of the other pieces of context around him that solidify why he's still a part of the conversation, even if he doesn't get to the second Super Bowl. but the second right. Super Bowl definitely puts him over the top. Yeah. That, that, and, and uh, so I don't want anybody to say, Do think Sean Payton's gonna no, 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 <laughs> not the case. <laughs> Not the case. And again, like there's also like there's the evaluation from our perspective of him. You know, I would say he's somebody that is a Hall of Fame head coach. And I think I think we could both say that. But there's the evaluation of what we have seen historically about the coaches that go to the Hall of Fame and what that has Tom to be. Tom different is evaluation. And he right. had rings. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like he was the first coach to win with a wild card team. And right. his second team beats 
argue at the time what was thought the best team maybe of all time because it had the number one offense of all time and the Redskins had a very dominant defense at that time mm-hmm. and the Raiders ran all over them. And Tom Flores ain't got close. Right. To get coaching. So that's that's just to give people a perspective on how hard it is to get into the Hall of Fame. They don't allow many people in year by year. They only right three is is a lot usually. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, he's gonna it's it's but I yeah, I think we both think his resume, the fact that they do love innovators, because of Don Coriel's in and he never made it Super Bowl. So Sean Payton can certainly be considered as a contributor to the game. His value goes beyond coaching because of what he introduced in a lot of ways to the NFL offensively and changing. Certainly what he did offensively is not replicable across teams across the league. Right. Not and we've, we, and we, yeah. And that's not just an assumption. Like we've seen that proven. It's not yeah. just the plays. You could have Sean Payton's playbook. He can right. give it to you, but you don't know his touch for calling mm-hmm. what when. And yes. like you said, that yes. gift of using a play in week two to set up a play in week 14. <laughs> the long game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you all this look. Just I'll, I'll waste this play right today. Just to, just to make a tendency out of it. You know, yeah. it's, it's. You saw it on tape. You had to see right. it. That was like, well, over the off season, he was like, he was, he was putting out some of his favorite plays on Twitter, just like putting out the play art, talking about his favorite plays. Here's why this works. And then it was Chris Dunnels who was like, like, coach, don't like, you're letting everybody see your playbook. And he was like, they've been seeing it. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Like all go special is all go special, right? It does not matter. Like those four, those four wideouts or those four receivers are going to run down the field but they all have a very specific role. Like you can know that it's an all go special, but what are their roles? What are they doing? What's the intent? What coverage do you use it against? What are the situations that you've seen before that? What are the tendencies that you've seen from the defense? What's the coverage? Like there's still so many things about when and why to call that play as opposed to just what the play is. And knowing who is throwing that pass. Yeah. Because those roles for, if, if you call that same play for Taysom, you call that same play for Jameis. It's going to be run a different way for each of them. Personnel's probably did. You're probably calling that. Yeah, you're probably calling that for Taysville with two tight ends on the field yep. because you want to give the look that it's a run, right? So even the formations and personnel, like it's all go special, but out of what formation, what's the personnel? Like what's the what's the lineup? Where are you stacked heavy? You know, which hash mark are you on? Like, is it field side? Is it is it is it uh, boundary side? Like all of that has to be taken into account and everything. Like it's, it's not just as simple as, you know, playing Madden and calling, you know, Oh, I like this play. This, this play works every time. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it's not like that. Nope. And, and he's a genius at it. That's, that's why you call it genius. Um, so let's get to the defense because there's so much credit that has to go to the defense over the these yeah. last few games. Giving up 200 yards is an effort against the saints. And then what you saw what they did to the Broncos in particular, again, in this unusual situation, insane in situation, and it's not – you have to take that with a huge grain of salt as well. Definitely. But the fact is they did what they did. They did the job that they were assigned to do. They did not allow that circumstance to let them let up and get, concede anything just on, on 
bring in your effort from 100 to 95. Right. Didn't do that. And that is a testament to this defense. And why don't you highlight, because you just put out that article about Quan Alexander, those yeah. unseen things that have made this defense so much better. Yeah, I think a couple of things we should acknowledge real quick about this particular performance against the Denver Broncos is that, you know, we talked about acknowledging that the Saints offensive playbook changed drastically and their approach changed drastically. The defense had to adjust to an offensive attack that they did not prepare for all week. And that is not seen is not they had no idea what this team was really they knew Kendall Hinton was going to be the starter Sunday morning. But in terms of what they had to get ready for on Saturday, what do you prepare for? So they ended up preparing for a Wildcat offense. They got a lot of that, right? Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon, Royce Freeman, they ran that Wildcat offense. Weird play calling choices by Schumer in terms of like putting Kendall Hinton in for his first throw on a third and three when the pass rush can just go after him and then not giving him a short pass, but having him, you know, attempt to pass downfield. None of that, none of those were good. None of that was a good choice. Play calling. They really did not. And that is a Shermer problem. Like they don't help Drew Locke with play calling either. They don't get him in rhythm early in the game with short passes and things like that. They just want to run and gun, not even run. They want to gun. Um, But the Saints had to be ready for uh, a running attack that they knew was going to be very heavy. The, The Denver Broncos ran 33 times in this game. That's it. The Saints ran 44. The Broncos ran 33 times in this game and got 100 rushing yards. That was it. Um, The thing that's so incredible about that is that you expected to see far more runs than that, but because they couldn't move the ball, they just went three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out over and over again because they couldn't move the ball on the Saints' run defense. Saints run defense gives up a hundred yards total in this game. When people were saying this is probably going to be the week where they give up a 100 yard rusher for the first time in 40, whatever games, which made sense. That made sense to be something to expect because they're, they're just going to run the ball that many times. There's going to be a fluke here or a fluke there. That's going to, you know, that's going to do it. They had one fluke. They had one fluke. It was Royce Freeman rushing for 23 yards when, not a not a single starter was on the field left for the Saints defense. Right. Um that was it. And so, so they're disciplined. Yeah. And that's 32 carries for 76 yards. Right. Right. And at that point you're looking at a total of what? 88 yards for that game. Cuz they only had 12 passing yards. They got sacked for minus 1 and then they had the 113 yard pass completion to Noah Fant on the tight end screen. That should have been the first damn throw that Kendall Hinton made in that game. That play call should have been the first play call in this game for Kendall Hinton. It should have all been crossing or one side rollouts, yep. screen passes, yep. tight end screens, short bubbles, all that kind of stuff. And that's not what they tried to do on the passing attempts that he got. I didn't understand what they were thinking about because <laughs> they, they helped him not at all. And you again, you know, at least on Denver's side, you had to know that you're dealing with one of the best pass rushes in this league. You had mm-hmm. to know you're dealing with front-end defensive backs. So why are you making this complicated for this kid who had a couple hours to look at the playbook? Right. Oh, come on, man. It was, it was, a, it was a series of wrong decisions <laughs> for the Denver Broncos. But the thing that we have to shout out about the Saints defense is that they went out there and they still played this game. 
The coverage on the backside was fantastic. They did a great job. They should have walked away from this game with four interceptions. Just so happy they had three dropped ones. Oh, excuse me, two dropped ones. We saw them go out and not lay off at all. Great backside contain that ended up being a that ended up being a two yard loss for the KJ Hamler reverse in the second quarter because Cam Jordan didn't over pursue. He saw the play flow going opposite him, so he held on to his role as who after becoming the backside defender and contained the backside. That ball came right back around to his side, and he was able to help make that play on KJ Hamler on the outside on the reverse. That kind of discipline is something that we saw them exhibit during the game against the San Francisco 49ers as well, just the eye discipline and maintaining their roles and hitting their fits and doing what they needed to do to make plays. We saw them again, be fundamentally sound and execute extremely well against a game plan that they had no time to prepare for that. They had no idea what they were going to see and that you don't practice to go. What scout team is running wildcat offense? Zero. That's the answer. The thing about it is that you look at all of that. And then you look at the production at the second level. I tweeted during the game, this game plan that Denver prepared is the perfect game plan and just an absolute Mount Everest for guys like Quan Alexander and DeMario Davis. This, if you run this game plan against them every week, they are going to have an absolute field day. And I just mean have fun because so much of it's so hard to sometimes really quantify <laughs> what it is that linebackers do at the second level because they have to do everything. They play coverage. They play the run. They rush the passer. They, they pass, uh, you know, they, they uh, are enforcers in the middle of the field. They pass from zone to zone. They communicate. They do everything. When I talked to Caden Ellis before the season, I, t- I asked him why linebacker for him because he's played everything. And so I was like, why linebacker? And he said, because I get to do all the things that I love on those other, you know, in those other positions, I get to be the safety that plays downhill in the box. And that makes a tackle on a run play. I get to be the edge defender that, that blitz the dude played three tech for a game. And he was like, I get to do all of that. I get to be the interior rusher. I get to run those stunts and I get to do the things that I love, which are play the run from the second level and drop back in coverage. So you get to do everything. So how do you understand really what it is that they do and what an impact that player has when it's not Lawrence Taylor level visible? And the way that you look at it is just sort of the roles that you're able to help expand on the, on the second level. The piece that I put out about Con Alexander was about how he and the defense have worked together, right? and how he's fit in so quickly and what his impact has been. You can't look at Quan Alexander and say the reason that the Saints defense is now number one in the NFL in terms of total yards is because of Quan Alexander. You can't do that. But you can look at the fact that he was somebody that was brought in and that did not do anything that caused the Saints to take a step back in introducing a new piece to the chemistry. He has only been a part of the ascension and the resurgence for this team. So when you look at him and what he's done in terms of what the passer rating has been over the middle of the field, which I know we talked a little bit about last week, even if you take away this atrocious <laughs> week 12 game, um, uh, for which, by the way, there were no passes over the middle, which means that the passer rating was not affected mm-hmm. just by this week 12 game. So even if you remove the week 12 game, there's not a huge difference because only nine passes were thrown. And so there's nominal adjustments that you would make because of that. But 
he's had such an incredible impact. This team went from 107 pass rating allowed over the middle of the field weeks one through nine to weeks 10 through 12, allowing 46 mm. is their pat was their pass rating over that. And the week, uh, the week 10 game against the, the, uh, the Tampa Bay, or sorry, the week nine game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that was still over a hundred passer rating allowed in the middle of the field, even though they didn't score any touchdowns over the field is still where they had a good, good game. So it wasn't until Quan Alexander hit the field specifically that you saw that even though they weren't giving up points, there's still passer rating. Isn't, isn't built on how many points you scored. So you can look at the scoreboard and say that the Saints defense got much better before Quan Alexander hit the field. Yes, that is true. But a large part of where they improved is still specific to the addition of Quan Alexander. So it's, it, it's, you know, you have to have a more nuanced conversation around it. The other and, thing that I look at, Oh, go ahead. And I just, I just want to say, it's like, it seems as if the, uh, the huge part of it is what he allows others to do. It's not just yes. his set. It's what he has now transferred some of these responsibilities that guys had earlier in the season to compensate for not having the right fit in that other linebacker spot. Right. We know the linebackers carry such a big responsibility because there are only two most of the time. Right. So they have to be special in that regard. Yes. They weren't special. They were okay. Yep. Mario was bringing up the class average. Mm-hmm. But everybody else had, like you said, if it's a group assignment, everybody had to do a little more because right. that one guy just wasn't getting it. Now and, you and, have somebody who's not perfect, but he allows – I think there's a sense of relief if you're DeMario Davis that I'm okay attacking this play because I trust that Quan will do this. Yep. It's the same for the secondary is that, okay, I know if, this, if I pass this guy along, Quan will be there to pick him up. And if he gets past Quan, Quan is going to communicate to the next level. He's right. going to pass him off the right way. And so that's a, a very important thing, that trust that they, I think, has been enhanced since he stepped on the field. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and the, it, it helps the Saints defense do what Sean Payton does on the offensive side. It helps you create and break tendencies. You can create a tendency now with Malcolm Jenkins and being selective about asking him to do things that are outside of his usual role, as opposed to being forced to ask him to do things that are outside of his usual role. Same thing with the Mario Davis. You can blitz him and blitz him and blitz him and blitz him. And then all of a sudden drop him back into coverage when the uh, your quarterback is expecting him to blitz or an offensive lineman is expecting him to blitz and then therefore slacks on another assignment, which helps Cam Jordan get home. There's a ripple effect to, to all of it. You look at the, the usage of, um, of CJ Garner Johnson and how effective he was against the San Francisco 49ers the first time that Quan Alexander touched the field because CJ Garner Johnson didn't have to be in coverage. They had a, uh, an athletic enough linebacker who could carry tight ends over the middle of the field, who could carry slot receivers over the middle of the field. C.J. Gardner-Johnson didn't have to do that anymore. And so he just got free blitzes all day that San Francisco was not prepared for because they're not used to him serving that role. Mm-hmm. Now we've seen C.J. Gardner-Johnson kind of back up off of that and play a little bit more coverage over the last couple of games. When do you see him go back to being that blitzer when every quarterback, every offensive lineman, every tight end now knows that that's in his skill set and has to be prepared for it if he doesn't do it for a couple of games and then all of a sudden does it against, say, the Kansas City Chiefs and they're less prepared for it. There's all of these other things now that Quan Alexander, because of what his skill set is, allows you to sort of 
be selective about your usage of, and I specifically talk about DeMario Davis, Malcolm Jenkins, CJ Garner Johnson, because those are the guys that share the middle of the field responsibilities with Quan. And those are the guys that are most affected immediately by what it is that he does. But the defensive line gets the benefit of it because if you break a tendency with one player and the offensive line gets distracted about that, like the example we just used with DeMario Davis, then how does that open up an opportunity for, uh, you know, an offensive lineman. They're also, oh, excuse me, a defensive lineman. You also see the same thing with the the backside and the secondary. If you're used to seeing Quan Alexander drop into middle of the field coverage deep in Tampa two, you know where Demario Davis is going to be. He's probably coming after you. He's probably coming after the quarterback or he's guarding the uh, the tight end. But then what are the safeties doing behind, right? And if you start off with that Tampa two look pre-snap, but then you adjust to a cover one look and all of a sudden it's man coverage, everything changes from the quarterback's perspective, but you might still see uh, Quan Alexander drop into that middle of the field zone because he's playing a cover one, they're playing a cover one look and he's manning the middle of the zone. So there's still so many of those things that you can set up pre-snap and then change right after the snap that can confuse some of the quarterbacks that struggle with that, that they have coming up over the next two games, I would say with Matt Ryan and with Carson Wentz, who, when are we going to give up on that? But, you know, and, and whether it's Carson Wentz or whether it's Jalen Hurts or whatever, like it, it's, you know, those are, those are going to be people that are going to be, that are going to have trouble because of what type of versatility Quan Alexander allows you to continue to bring to the defensive side. Um, as part of that continued tracking of the defensive line, um, how would you rate their performance this week? Uh, and just like you said, you've already addressed that Camp Jordan play, which again, mm-hmm speaks to his understanding and that 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 thing that I, I want to compare it to JJ Watt. Uh-huh. One of the things we used to talk about with JJ Watt when he was winning defensive player of the year when he was doing all these things was that his pursuit, his back end pursuit, his contained, he just wasn't a pass rusher. He was doing all these right. other things. You watch JJ Watt now, you're not saying that. You're not seeing mm-hmm. him get back down the field after tackles if a play gets beyond the line of scrimmage. You don't see those same things. Here's Cam Jordan in this beyond what we would say the normal peak of a player's career is. Mm-hmm. And yet he is still doing the discipline work of containing that edge, creating that edge. And, and also you do see cam downfield in pursuit when there are plays that require that he has not changed his approach to the game. Uh, with this team and I think that that's a testament to him and it's also a testament to testament to his teammates that allow Cam not to have to overextend and say I must create pressure at this point I must do this he can stay within his role right that defensive line has been so good with so many different players yeah and it's it the, the thing that's really interesting about that specific play is that it was the first play of that game where Cam Jordan lined up at the left end spot. So left being the offensive left. So we'll say the right end spot from the defensive perspective. It was the first first play that he actually lined up over there. And the thing that was interesting about that play is that what they actually did, let me make sure I'm getting my notations right. What they actually did was that they used uh they had him over on that offensive left end then they had malcolm brown at sort of a two tech so he was lined up over the top of a guard not on the inside not not a a three tech in the gap he was lined up immediately over the guard helmet to helmet and then they had marcus davenport actually on the inside at the one tech position so he was in the gap between the center and the and the guard and so the person that was actually playing on the opposite end was david on yamada 
And so now all of a sudden, <laughs> as an offensive line, you have a left tackle that's staring Cam Jordan in the face for the first time, and you have a right tackle that's staring a defensive tackle in the face for the first time, and you have a guard and a center that have a six foot seven <laughs> athletic absolute just you know prototype standing in front of you as a one tech in um, in Marcus Davenport, and. And, uh, you know, I think for the first time you saw Malcolm Brown in that not playing one tech. So everything about it, again, it's, it's tendency breaking on the defensive side. And that, that's what this versatility allows you to do. Everything about that look was brand new for the Denver Broncos and that offensive line. And keep in mind that two of those players were returning for their only their second game coming back from injury on the right side of that offensive line, defensive left. So that ended up being a you know minus two tackle for a loss by Cam Jordan because he was disciplined over on that side. But the thing about it is that even if you, you know, as you watch the play, the right side or the left side of the defense should have been weaker because they were so stacked off to the right side of the defense on the defensive line, but because of the play of the linebackers, that ended up not being the case. And CJ Garner Johnson, who was lined up on that side as well. And so even if they had run to that right side, they wouldn't have gone anywhere. It probably would have been a tackle for a loss on that side too. And then they were prepared over on the left side based upon probably personnel in terms of seeing KJ Hamler stand in a specific area of the huddle, things like that. Like all of that, you know, comes into play, not, not necessarily him being a specific area of the huddle, but him potentially being in the, in the huddle for the first time mm-hmm. to start off that, 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 that drive, like all of that ties into how they're going to, how they're, they're going to do this. And so the, the ability for them to be able to rotate a defensive line, there was one moment to where I think it was the first third down conversion that Denver had to where the play ended. And then four new defensive linemen just ran on. It looked like subs in a basketball game, like a late, 20 point basketball game it's where they just subbed in a whole new unit <laughs> and it's just like their, their ability to be able to do that is one of the reasons why they're so effective all the way deep into the game and so now you have a run game on the offensive side for the saints and an offensive line that could be productive all the way to the final gun and then now you see and and you've always seen the same thing from the defensive side for this team because of their rotation it, it, it's an incredible thing it, it's been fun to track it's been a lot of fun to track and the fact that they have so many guys who can play both inside and out. Yes. As you said, to be able to put DTs on the edge and they are still quick enough to make plays and collapse the pocket, it's just that's a luxury. And it's 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 yeah. it's very reminiscent of what they wanted to do when Steve Spagnola was the defensive coordinator and create that same, but they didn't have the personnel. And it was a, just that whole season was a disaster. I was going to say, did Spagnola really get like a fair shot? No, I, don't think, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think, I mean, look, was him. you know what I'm saying? Man. Like yeah. was there to make sure that people as a new defensive coordinator that could say, let Steve do his job, please. You know right. what I'm Cause you're dealing with that Joe poor guy, Vitt. man. Right. You know, you're dealing with guys who Joe Vid had a personality, you know what I'm saying? Like, and he wanted to, like, he wanted that defensive coordinator job. Yeah, he did. You think he was gonna be real cool? It's like, yeah, get, no, give Spags another chance. Like, you know, you weren't about to see that. So he wasn't. He's a made man. You, you know, what I'm saying he went to the joint. You never read on your friends, right? Mouth shut. <laughs> he went to the joint. He wasn't gonna be the guy to get cut. He's got to go. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what Magnolia wanted to do. That's how he built those Giants defense that yeah. beat 
up on the Patriots. And now you see that against teams that want to throw and even against teams that want to run, the Saints can, like you said, do hockey subs and take out a whole defensive <laughs> That's a really line. Good, yeah. Then you guys in. And I had to believe, like when you were watching, saying I'm watching this game and I'm enjoying it more than I should, than you think <laughs> I should. That's what I was thinking about. It's like he's watching the defense. He's not even paying attention to the offense. He's watching all his defensive stuff, and he's loving it. Yeah, That's every bit I, of it. Man. I knew people were going to say, this is a shit game. Why? <laughs> And I said, he's watching the defense. That's what it <laughs> <laughs> You know me very well, my friend. No, absolutely. Like, that, that, that was the thing. There were some things on the offensive side that I loved. I loved the formation. I loved the, the formations that, that Sean Payton used in the situation. I loved the personnel groupings, the decisions that he, did, that he had. He had several decisions, you know, several plays where he ran out there with six offensive linemen, which is not out of the ordinary for Sean Payton, but the amount of plays that he ran with six offensive linemen was, was remarkable. Um, his usage of heavier packages and still being willing to try to throw out of them every now and then is something that we knew from the very beginning. Once they drafted Adam Troutman, they told the entire world, we want to do a lot with two tight ends on the field. There it is. Um, I think there's a lot of good things to say about Adam Troutman as well, by the way, in terms of the way that he's been able to come on. You don't see rookie tight ends do what he's doing right now. And I know he's not catching, you know, a hundred passes this season and going for over 900 yards or whatever. Like, and that's fine because that was never going to be his role this season to begin with. It was, can you improve as a blocker? And the answer so far has been, yes, he's been outstanding. There's a reason why he played 39 snaps to, you know, uh, uh, Jared Cook's 19, if I remember correctly in this game. Uh, and it's because it was, you know, they also ran the ball 44 times. So Adam Troutman's going to be on the field. That, that's the way that works. But it was that it was, I was watching all of that. That play, that touchdown by Taysom Hill, I think is is one of my favorite play calls I've seen in a long time with lining up the offensive lineman in a trips formation. I'll never get over that. Um, utilizing Michael Burton. Michael Burton had an outstanding game, by the way. I love the fullback position, partly because it's dying, <laughs> but also because I genuinely like that position because it's like a linebacker in that it does everything. You're expected to be able to do everything especially in a sean payton offense block a lot yep yep you gotta play special teams like you you have to be able to do all this stuff and i was so excited about the michael burton signing because he was somebody that was familiar with the system because he was with the team in training camp in the beginning of preseason last year and he has just proven to be a very good fullback over his time whether it was with detroit or whether it was with washington and now you're seeing it all come to fruition with the saints they had some times where he would line they would line him up they ran this play like three or four times in this game it's where they lined him up in a stack formation out wide behind michael thomas but then before the snap they would start him in motion and then they would snap the ball as he hit the offensive line as he hit the box basically the tackle box and then he and Nick Easton, who would pull from the left guard position, would become lead blockers on the opposite side of the field. So they would give this dude a running start <laughs> and say, go take out a DB. Yep. And he did it over and over and over again. I think they, I really think they ran that play like four times in this game. And Taysom Hill was just able to follow those guys. So I was watching things like that. It was all the hard-nosed stuff that I just loved about this game. It was that. It was the defense. It was the defensive line rotation. It was the play by the linebackers. It, it was I, – I loved every second of this game. As long as nobody got, I mean, there were injuries um, and everything like that. But as long as like Kendall Hinton didn't get like his, you know, his clock rang or anything like that, like that was the one thing I was most concerned about. Thankfully, that did not happen. And I think that there was a little bit of sportsmanship by Sean Payton, if I'm being honest, 
as well. Like after a certain, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like they weren't going to do it. But the Saints walked away with one sack in this game because they ran the ball 44 times, but also because like they weren't going to. Cam Cam Jordan had a couple of like welcome to the NFL moments where he would just knock them down after passing. I know Kendall Hinton is listed at six foot, 198 pounds, but there's no way that dude is a raindrop more than 170. Like he's tiny. And, you know, there were a couple of times. Say again. He's look. I watched him. You know what I'm saying? Like I right. watched for three and a half years. Right. They very small, very fast. Yeah. But very small and yeah. He wasn't a solid. Like again, this is a guy who struggled to throw the ball when he was even a quarterback at Wake Forest. So it's just right. It was. Sean Payton can be petty, but he is never intentionally cruel to people who he's not a bull. Right. He's not right. a bully in that regard. He will bully yeah. people who he doesn't like respect. Yeah. But he wasn't not in this situation. That's an innocent yeah. bystander. He had right. no chance. Yeah. There was no yeah, there was nothing there for that guy. And so, yeah, I think there was some sportsmanship in terms of the the Saints offensive play calling and, you know, extending drives and keeping the other offense off the field. I think there was a part of that to where they were just like, let's just run the ball. They ran the ball ten straight times on one drive. Like there was no and it, and it was different. It was different than the Buffalo uh, game, for instance, you know, where they ran 48 times in that game. But still, the play calling was different. The situations were different, all of that. But in the clock yeah. run. Yeah, you, you just want to get out of there. Like I said, you be as healthy as possible. You knew you were going to win that game in all likelihood. You played like you, were, you wanted to win that game. Get mm-hmm. out of there. You don't have to. You still yeah. won by that yeah. margin. Not really trying to put your foot on the gas. All the <laughs> right. Right. You know, and so it, it's, it's a tough game to read into, but I sure did love every second of it. <laughs> so we look ahead. Now Taysom Hill is going to be playing a team for the first time, for the second time, for the first time. Yes. Yeah. And Atlanta certainly has looked at that film and, and, and will make adjustments and they will look at the Broncos film and you'd have to anticipate that it's somewhere a mix of the two game plans. Mm-hmm. That where Sean Payton is going to still want to accentuate the run and, and take that pressure, but you have to put pressure on the DBs in this game. You cannot – Atlanta's not going to be in that position where they aren't going to score some points. Right. I'm not saying that the Saints are going to let them score 30. I don't believe that. But you, that pressure will be there, that there will be times when you have to respond to drives or that they will at least very, at the very least shift the field in a better way than what the Broncos were able to do. And you may have to go 80 yards to score a touchdown. And you can't yep. do that necessarily with them by rounding it 10 times. So they have to put, there has to be some balance. And I think that there's going to be some type of conversation about how do we get Alvin his touches. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a big – I think that is a big thing to solve <laughs> as quickly as possible because part of the evaluation of Taysom Hill being the heir apparent is how does he utilize the weapons on the field? They just extended Alvin Kamara. There's not a world in which they're okay with Alvin Kamara getting paid and not being utilized. There's not a world in which Alvin Kamara is okay with getting paid and not being utilized. He wants to, he wants to play. He wants to be competitive. Um, Michael Thomas is going to be Taysom Hill's best friend Michael Thomas can be any quarterback's best friend. Doesn't matter. It, the question then becomes, hey, where we're also funneling money and investing money 
are you going to utilize? Because they just paid a running back, which means use the damn running back. <laughs> and so I think that that's a big part of the evaluation process is not just can he throw the ball, can he read zone coverage, but how does he work with these other players around him? How does he utilize the talent that he has around him? So on and so forth. So I think that those are big questions that do need to be answered by this team before they're, or for this team, before they're willing to say, Taysom Hill's the guy. So that's something I'm going to be watching in this game. The observation that you pointed out about it being the second or the first time that Taysom will play a team for the second time is incredibly important because it's also within three weeks. So there's been no opportunity to set up. And it's also the game that separates the game between Atlanta, between Atlantis um, was only a game that exposed more about Taysom Hill as opposed to set up new expectations for Taysom Mm -hmm. Hill. So that's the other thing that, you, you, that, that is really important that I'm going to be watching going into this game is Taysom doesn't have any new tendencies to break unless he can all of a sudden read zone coverage. Like that's the big thing. So how are the Atlanta Falcons going to play differently than they played two weeks ago, which is easier for them to do now because they have new information on Taysom based on the small sample size that he has shown that affirms larger uh, assumptions about him or larger evaluations about him, observations about him from the past, right? They're not standalone observations. They just confirm things that were concerns before. Now that they have that, and then how do the Saints protect Taysom Hill from that? How do they build an offense that's conducive with his limitations? And so that's what I'm, I'm interested in seeing because you can lessen those limitations, but first you have to play to them. You have to know how to navigate around them. You have to build an offense that can function around those limitations. Jimmy Garoppolo had limitations. He could only read half a field. The, the Kyle Shanahan built a genius offensive system around that. He put weapons around him that could do things that, you know, that could, that could make things happen with the ball in his hand. He gave Jimmy Garoppolo a run game. He gave Jimmy Garoppolo a defense. It can be done. And a sense can, yes. Did you talk about somebody being a best friend? George Kittle is a best friend. Yeah, absolutely. And so now for the Saints, you have a, a, a Taysom Hill that right now has limitations that, that can be improved upon, but they're not going to be – that level of an improvement isn't going to necessarily just go away. You know what I mean? It's not going to be fully achieved in a matter of a week. Mm-hmm. That's something that takes reps. It takes time. So now you have around, uh, around Taysom Hill, you have a good offensive line. You have a, a great run game. You might not have a George Kittle, but you got a Michael Thomas. You have receivers that could do things after the catch. You have a young tight end in uh, Adam Troutman that he seems to have really good chemistry with. You have Jerry Cook, who hopefully can, can step up. And you have a defense that has allowed seven points per game over the last seven games and is now the number one defense in terms of total yardage allowed, number five in terms of total points allowed. And remember, this defense has been good in the yardage game all season. All season. It was the penalty. All season. It was – uh, the big plays that would yep. bite them in, in the behind, and they've eliminated mm-hmm. both of those. And they've yep. gotten not just eliminated those, but gotten better in all the areas that we've already discussed. Yeah, including including red zone defense, which is where they really got shredded. First of all, they're not allowing red zone possessions because they've eliminated those big plays. Right. But also, when they get there, uh, they're performing for they're performing much better than what we saw earlier on in the season. Still, things to improve as always. This defense, as we mentioned earlier, not perfect but it is a good defense. Now, how do you build a system knowing that you have all that? The only thing that's missing right now is what the system is because they're still building it in terms of what, who Taysom Hill is and they're still learning who Taysom Hill is, what the limitations are and how to build it. Do they have enough information now to build a system that can, um, 
I don't know the word that I'm looking for, but that can, that can make up for um, some of those limitations at this point. Do they have enough information yet or are they still looking for that information? I'm really excited about this game this weekend because of all of that. And there's a lot of potential adjustments that can be made on either side that will win the game for either one of these teams. It seems that at this point, 11 games in, um, it's, it's really down to the Saints and the Packers for that number one seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in these last five games, it feels like to me, if they go three and two, I think they secure the number one seed. Um, the question is, and it looks more and more favorable to them in these last five games. I think if we look at the, let's, let's look at the Kansas city Tampa game real quick. Mm-hmm. You see the vulnerabilities that Kansas city has had all year. Yep. They struggled to run the ball against Tampa. They struggled to, to maintain their offense in the second half against Tampa. They made some big plays at the right time to, to, to close it out. Um, but it was pretty much all the Mahomes show. Yeah. That game. Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Um, defensively, we've said it all year that, that I, I don't think we've been super impressed with that defense. Um, and they didn't look particularly dominant against Tom Brady, who threw for 400 yards himself. And they were able to run a little bit. It's that gap between where the Saints are in the league and and who's the number one team continues to get narrower. It's it right now just feels like it's the Packers and the Saints, and those are the two teams that we 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 have to have the discussion about is who's the best because I don't feel as confident as as I did about Kansas City maybe a month ago, mm-hmm. and but I'm still hearing Tony Romo at the end of that broadcast. Boomer size, if you talk about, well, the Bucs are going to get it together and they'll be the team in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and they're two and five against winning teams. Tom Brady has not played well against winning teams. I don't understand how people continue to, like you said, with all the things the Saints have, top, the defense, like you said, the offense, yes, it slipped a little bit without Breeze. But overall, this is a team that should be top 10 in both categories, if not top five, has won at home, has won on the road, has beaten good teams has beaten teams shorthanded, and yet nobody's talking about the Saints. Nobody. Nobody. And I, I think that some of that just has to do with the expectation that everybody has with names. And this was something we were really cautious about before the season when it came to the Saints defense. It's like, yeah, they look great on paper. They're great on paper. Good names. Good names at every position. But how do they work together? What are we going to see? And it didn't start off great. It didn't start off great. But seven, eight, nine games into the season – you saw it start to click. Tampa Bay has gone the opposite direction later on in the season to where they have, you know, and then they also added another piece, which the Saints did the same thing. They added uh, uh, Kwan Alexander. The difference is the trajectory. The difference is the, 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 uh, the, the path, I guess you could say, to where the Saints are going upward right now. And eventually they'll plateau. Like eventually they're going to give up multiple touchdowns in a game again. Like, come on. Like they're not going to, they're going to hold that, that pace for the rest of the season. Well, um, you expect that, that Kansas City game, if it means something to them, <laughs> they, they can't, it, I, they're not going to shut out Kansas City. No, 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 at all. And so I think that the, that's the other part about all this too, is just looking at just sort of the, the, the current trajectories of both the Saints and, and the Bucks in particular. The Saints just need to win one more game, essentially, to make sure that they tie up 
the number one seed in the NFC South, at least. Because um, you would expect Tampa Bay to drop another game. If they win out, then the Saints need to win two games. That's it. And you could, Atlanta and Philly coming up, those are good opportunities. Uh, week 17 against Carolina should be another win. Like, could be another win depending upon what the, you know, what the definition of those games are. Uh, you've got Minnesota at home. So, you know, the Saints, there's no reason that the Saints shouldn't get two more wins out of this going four and one essentially sews up the NFC South for, excuse me, the NFC for them. As long as green Bay drops another game, they have a game against Tennessee later on in the season that I think is, is a good one to keep advantage of. The big thing is that either the saints need to win it outright, or if they tie with green Bay, they need Seattle to be tied as well. Because in a three-way tie between the Saints, Seattle and green Bay, the saints come out on top because of conference record. Right. In a two-way tie with Green Bay, they Green lose Bay. the number one seed. Right. And so Green Bay right now has three losses on the season. The best situation for the Saints is that they end up losing another game, that, that Green Bay ends up losing another game to just help create the distance. But there's a lot of different ways for them to, to get the number one seed. And essentially, it's a win and you're in for the Saints. As long as they continue to win... And even dropping the game to Kansas City, if they, don't lo- if they don't win that game, hurts them way less than losing next week to the Falcons. Right. Because they're an AFC opponent. So it doesn't... You have it doesn't... To figure they're going to be favored in four of those five games. Exactly right. And even exactly the Kansas right. City game, I would imagine, is as close to a pick as you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, in that one. And if... The, it, if, if they're given any, even, you know, I think they, they could be the favorite in that, but it would be by, it depends on if Breeze is back, of course. Yeah, sure. And, and if he's shown, if he comes back a week earlier and at least has shown, if it's his first start, yeah. I, I don't even know if Sean Payton would want to make that his first start. Man, look, I feel the exact same way. <laughs> like, like, let him come to- back against Minnesota. Like, that's fine. If you bring him back a week before, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. if, if the week that he's eligible is Kansas City, I don't care what Drew Brees says. Right. I don't care what he wants. Dude, you're waiting until next week and we're playing I feel, Carolina. I feel similarly. I feel similarly. Like, if he's not coming back against Philly, then he should come back against Minnesota. Not – don't worry about Kansas City. That's fine. Well, that's fine. If, we'll if, see you on Christmas. If I'm Kansas City, and Kansas City has some people on that team who have, let's say – on that defense who have pushed the edge. Mm-hmm. If I, and I know I could see Drew Brees in the, in the playoffs, in the, in the Super Bowl. Right. Is it worth it for me to make sure, not a, not a dirty hit, but make sure it's a complete hit? Yes. You know yes. A couple times, just to, to tap him up a little bit. Right. Let him know and maybe do, you know, maybe make those ribs hurt, it, hurt a little bit more. Just a little sore. <laughs> so, like, I – Everybody else at that time, I mean, you're looking at most teams will be out of it, the right. teams that they have going down. I mean, Philly is in it only because somebody has to be. You know what I mean? Like, there is, there's no choice. So, it's – to me, like, I just don't – it's Pittsburgh, it's Green Bay, and it's the Saints. And outside of that, everybody else, you kind of just have to feel like and, – and even with the Packers, we, it goes back to that defense. It's – I don't know if their defense travels for green Bay being at home is going to be so important to them because the defense is suspect. You can even just look at this, this last game against Chicago had, if Matt Nagy was a good play caller or whoever the hell was calling the plays for Chicago this week, 
they would have kept the ball on the ground. David Montgomery's second play of the game for, for Chicago's offense rips off a 57-yard pass. They hand the ball to him five more times in the first half. There's no way. You put, you put, the, hand, you put the ball in the hand of Alvin Kamara Latavius Murray on the second play of the Saints' offensive game, and they run for 57 yards. You better believe Sean Payton is not going away from that run game ever again for the rest of that game. Every time you see the defensive line, I don't understand if you have a decent running game. And the Bears do have a good running game. Yeah. If you have that against that Green Bay defensive line, I want to run the ball. They are light yes. up front. That's what, we talked about that at the very beginning of the season. They right. are light up front. I don't, I don't get so- it. It was such a strange choice. It was such a strange choice. And I think that that's the big thing. Like, you've seen what the Saints can do if they commit to the run. We've seen it several times this season, not even just this Denver Broncos game, which the Denver Broncos were at least middle of the pack in the NFL when it came to the run defense. Their run defense was the worst part of their defense. Their pass rush, their coverage were better, but still middle of the pack in terms of what that, where that run defense ranked across the league. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get the hesitation to run against Green Bay. I don't understand what that, what that is, but Chicago did not make the right choice. Nope. Um, yeah, so the way I look at it, I, 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 like, I'm just like you. I look forward to this weekend because this will be a very interesting thing to watch, what the play calls are, what those sequences are, what adjustments the Falcons have made on both sides of the ball um, mm-hmm. and how they try to attack the Saints now, having seen Quan Alexander now. And right. having a little bit of tape on him, too, how do they adjust offensively to create some matchup problems for the Saints? Do they end up, you know, making this a, a, a game where the Saints have to score? Not just do score, but there are those situ- – I want to see Taysom Hill in those situations, actually. Because yeah. if we're going to evaluate him, we have to have those high-pressure situations. It can't just be playing with the lead. I don't know what kind of quarterback you are if the circumstances are always in your favor. And so right. I want to see the challenge for Taysom Hill to deal with this and to be put in some third longs, to be put in two-minute situations where he has to make decisions on the field and can't just call his own number. So, yep. yeah, that's, that's what I'm lo- really looking forward to, to see if that happens this weekend. Yeah. And uh, injury to watch, too, is just Janoris Jenkins. Yeah. Um, you know, the Saints, Saints had to perform the last time they went up against Atlanta without uh, Marshall Lattimore. And thankfully, Patrick Robinson has had an outstanding season when he's been called into action so far this year. And I, I really do think that him and Malcolm Jenkins being on the same defense again has just been wonderful for him. But, um, you know, if they don't have, Mal- uh, excuse me, Janoris Jenkins in this game, then you'll see Patrick Robinson and Marshall Lattimore, it looks like. The good thing about this is that the Saints have good depth at, in the secondary and they have good players in the secondary. So there's no need to look at Janoris and say, hey, 75% of you is better than 100% of anybody else in your yeah. position. You don't have to do that. You, know, you can roll with Patrick Robinson and feel pretty confident right now, it seems. You know, we'll see what actually happens. But if that ends up being the case, that'll be something to watch and to see how the Falcons offense works with that and and how they try to incorporate Hayden Hurst this time around because remember Mm -hmm. the Saints last game didn't allow a touch uh, excuse me a a catch to a tight end for the first time since 2011 it's the first time that that is that was the last time that that happened because they didn't complete a single pass to Hayden Hurst so but they tried uh really intently last week against the Raiders to get him the ball um before I let you go um do you think that 
I mean, I think we both think the streak rolls on after this week. I, I, I give the Saints a win here. But what do you think? Do you think this is a game where they dominate, or do you think that like it, it's? I, I just want to see. I want to see them play a closer game mm-hmm. for their own benefit. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a closer game, too. I mean, I think that, you know, Atlanta probably won't have Todd Gurley going into this one, so they'll be leaning on Ito Smith a little bit, so I don't know. And Ito Smith's very good, don't get me wrong, but he is somebody that they really like in the passing game, both him and Brian Hill. And Brian Hill has diced up the Saints defense before. Uh, But, you know, when it comes to Ito Smith, he's somebody that might get a little bit more involved in the passing game than Todd Gurley did. So that's going to be a part of, I imagine, Quan Alexander and the the difference that he can make um, guarding the flats. And so I think that there are going to be opportunities where they can take some of those players, those key players in the middle, and utilize Ito Smith to get them on the outside, which will open up the middle of the field for some of these other run-after-catch guys um, like Calvin Ridley. And, uh, well, I guess they just lost the uh, – uh, I can't remember the, the guys. They just lost one of their wide receivers, and they just had to elevate Laquan Treadwell up. So there's that. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see and you know uh, Julio Jones still dealing with injuries and everything Calvin Ridley had an injury against Las Vegas so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what that offense is able to do but I do expect this to be at least a little bit of a closer game than what we've seen over the recent past Um, I think that Atlanta is going to be made one-dimensional and maybe it's a late surge that makes it closer but we'll see how competitive it can be but I'm not going to rule Atlanta out you know it's familiar it's opponent that's a, that's familiar with the saints does not have a level of unfamiliarity now that they've seen Taysom hill once unless they do something completely different the saints offense but that'll be what's most interesting about watching this one is there something on the offensive line that this that you, that you think that atlanta may try to key on considering the the condition of the line itself yeah, I mean, I think taking advantage of that, the Toronto Armstead's probably I'm 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 fairly certain Toronto Armstead's not eligible to play this week, right. and so if that is the case, I think you know the the edge pressure and probably more stunts over on that side uh, is going to be something. Uh, what I'm hoping is that the Saints still start James Hurst there, uh, as opposed to Andrews Pete coming back and then moving Andrews Pete to left tackle and then plugging in Nick Easton at left guard because then you lose Nick Easton if you need to plug him in for Cesar Ruiz at any point, or you're going to have to shuffle. I've, I've hated for the state's offensive line over the past three, four years that if you lose one player, you have to make multiple changes. Mm-hmm. So that was the good thing about adding James Hurst is that he's a proven veteran who can just plug in and you're replacing with one player. It's a one-for-one substitution as opposed to reshuffling anything. And so I think that that's another big part of, or, or what I would imagine that the, uh, the Falcons would try to key in on. Does Alvin Kamara score this week? Oh, Lord, I hope so. I hope so. He scored his first career touchdown against Atlanta in the last game two weeks ago. I'm sure he wouldn't mind a second, third, fourth, fifth one just to make up for the last couple of weeks with Taysom Hill, man. Taysom Hill is like that offensive player of the year award is on, on the line here, dude. Man. Most of me weeks of numbers. Talk here. about – you're right. Talk about, you know, performance bonuses and everything. Like he gets it off. It's a player of the year, but that's not just a trophy. No, that's a check. You know what I mean? So like, there's so many of those. Other, and especially in a week where Dalvin cook played down and everything, he had 50, 50 something yards on he, 11 carries. You know, when you want pace for a hundred catches and 15 to 20 touchdowns and all those things. And it, there's a hiccup. It has nothing to do with your competitiveness. It does, it does have everything, excuse me, because I firmly believe that great players believe that the best option, and whether it's Drew Brees, Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara, 
all of them. The best option coach is give it to me. <laughs> That's right. said that he and Latavius Murray say every week they right. go to Sean Payton to say, yes, ball. we can do this all the time. Hand us the ball. And, he, and, he's, and Alvin is the most plain spoken. He said, we tell him this shit all the time. <laughs> I love that quote. We, we tell him this shit. We can run it all the time. Give us the ball. That's what great players do. That's what they mm -hmm. want. They want the touches because they firmly believe. Barry Sanders used to talk about this in Detroit, that the Lions yeah. for years would not give him carries inside the five because they thought he was too small, and they would always give it to the fullback in those situations. And Barry Sanders finished with exactly 100 touchdowns, and it probably cost him 20 or 30 touchdowns over the course of his career. And at the end, Alvin Kamara is going to know them numbers too. And he's going to yep. say, man, if I end my career with 85 touchdowns and I should have had 100, <laughs> because that 100 touchdown club means something to these guys. Yeah. Yep. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's part of their nature, and it's not a negative. Drew Brees no. knows that how many, he knows how many touchdowns he fell behind Tom Brady during this time. He knows. Yep. So, you know, he knows exactly where he stands. And he, he's not going to go outside of himself to do it. But he for damn sure is going to ask for the opportunity to make it happen. And that's the thing is these guys just want the ball in their hands so that they can determine and feel like they help determine the course of that outcome. If they take it from them, when, it, when you win, you, 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 it'll gloss you by a couple times. But it will gnaw at you at some point that, yeah, we're winning, but I could be doing my thing here. I could be giving us something. And it's selfish, but it's also for the team. You really feel like the team would be better if I got a mm -hmm. few more touches. Yep. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Like I said, I'm excited to see it. It's also a real road game because you are facing a real quarterback on the road too, which is different for uh, the Saints, you know, with Taysom. So there's just a lot of things to really look forward to in this game, the nuance yeah. of it, more so than like you did last week. You weren't watching the score. You're watching situations, you're watching personnel packages, you're watching, you know, uh, play calling. All of those things can be so intriguing and they absolutely yeah. will be this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be, it's, uh, I'm really excited about this. I think we'll learn a lot from this game. I was prepared to learn a lot because you were going to see Taysom Hill go up against an unfamiliar opponent away from home, non-conference, everything. I think we still get that against philly although it is a conference game it's still an unfamiliar opponent still away from home this week you get familiar but away from home so i still think we learn a lot about the taste conversation and just and again like the the taste conversation is not just about Taysom. it's about does this does this offense work with a mobile quarterback even if it ends up not being Taysom hill does this court does this offense work in you know, around Taysom Hill, as opposed to just does Taysom Hill work in this offense? There's, there's, there's a lot of questions that are being answered there that we're learning answers to. And I think we, we get just a little bit further next week. So to wrap on that, tell everybody what you got going for this weekend. Cause I know you got a few more appearances coming up mm -hmm. and if you're writing anything that may be coming out before the end of the week as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I have my, uh, the, the quantifying Alexander article came out. The tweet still said quantifying Quan, but the, the, I, the yeah, article, I, told you that. I was like, yeah, take the second Quan out. The, the article doesn't have the second Quan though. That's, that's what matters. The byline, the byline that's under it. No, no second Quan. So I got you. Cause that was, that was the right choice. Uh, so when people look it up, 
it's only one Quan. I got it. But, uh, <laughs> but that article is out. Um, I have uh, another defensive line breakdown coming up. I think it's coming out tomorrow. Uh, just looking at the rotation of defensive line, you know, which rotation did you see the most in terms of player combination, which rotation did you see the most in terms of uh, position combination and which were most effective on Sunday against the Broncos. And then um, uh, another betting article coming out at the end of the week too, to get you ready for lines and all that good stuff. But, you know, Locked on Saints is every day. Tomorrow is the crossover episode with my boy Aaron Freeman uh, from Locked on Falcons. That's coming up. I have an article dropping, or excuse me, a podcast dropping in probably about 30 minutes uh, with, well, as of recording this, uh, about two more potential options at quarterback that aren't Jace, uh, that aren't Tamus, Tamus, that aren't Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. I knew it was going to happen. Um, I'll spoil it a little bit. Yes, one of them is Matt Stafford. Uh, so there is, there is that. You know we want that. <laughs> I know. You know we want that. Uh, and I so that's Stafford coming out. Really big things with the Saints. I just, man. He's, man. He's exactly the same kind of thing that, that Sean Payton would, he would yeah. love. Like he's, he, he, he's got the experience with working with elite receivers. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, look. Matt Stafford, Golden Tate, Kenny Galladay, yep. like Mike Thomas is going it would feast. Calvin Johnson, yeah, would love. You know, he he played with Reggie Bush. He's you know he's so he knows how to utilize running backs out of the backfield who can catch. Um, they certainly have that this year, but Patricia did not do a good job of utilizing Swift or Carry no. On Johnson. He doesn't know what no. he's doing with those two guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I mean he's if you gave him that opportunity with a defense, right. And you open up yeah, your because, oh, man, oh. to not get hit like he gets hit? Right. All Eddie P. Lions fans didn't really do him any favors over there in, uh, over there in Detroit. But, uh, you know, it, it is, it's interesting because he, he kind of gives you everything that you love about Jameis Winston, it, but doesn't give you any of the stuff that you don't like about Jameis Winston, too. He gives you the big arm. He's a former fight. Yeah. He, he's taken a beating and gotten up in one game for them. His yep. comeback wins, what, I think he's – Second in the NFL in comeback wins. Now, mm-hmm. he, yeah, yeah, he struggled against win. But see, that's that's the thing we talk about too is when we ascribe wins and losses to quarterbacks. Right. We have to remember the entire situation of that game and who they yeah. their defense is and who their coach is and right. what they it's, don't have. Yeah, it's the same way we talk about Drew Brees in the seven and nine seasons. He was outstanding those three seasons, but the win loss record seven and nine, seven and nine, seven and nine that wasn't his fault. You know, 21 wins over those three seasons was not on Drew Brees. And so I think you can, I think you make a similar argument. 400 yards that were terrible games. Mm-hmm. That were yep. just be made wrong decisions. So it's, it's like, yeah, that, that's the casual thing. So, but yeah, they know yeah. where to follow you at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. And you can also, uh, like I said, check Locked On Saints podcast every day. Go to Canal Street Chronicles and check out the articles there. And then, of course, on Wednesdays, you come in for the Dome Patrol. Right here. <laughs> right here. Right here. You still got to get Ryan. Ryan still has not followed me. So this I can dude. And I'm like, I'm about to just, I'm going to just DM both of y'all right now. Yeah. That way like, y'all are in the same. We want you on. We want to bring you on. You know, have a third member of the Dome Patrol. And for, you know, at least for a week. And then it'll be, we have a little, he gets a full, he's got the full beard. You know, you got the <laughs> that's right. And I have yeah. stubble. So again, it's it's we're varying up the types. We bring that's up. right. 
So yeah, so we got to get Ryan on. I want to do that for next week. I think perfect. It'd be perfect post Atlanta to have him on. So yeah, we make it happen for next week. Yeah, that'd be dope. So until next Wednesday, I am David Grove. This is the Dome Patrol on Hard to Paint. Uh, we'll see y'all next week. I will see y'all.